Book One, Chapter Three of the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Andrus. The League of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orsi. Book One, Sir Percy Explains. Chapter Three. Even that bloodthirsty tiger, Jean Paul Marat, has had his apologists. His friends have called him a martyr, a selfless and incorruptible exponent of social and political ideals. We may take it that Simone Everard loved him, for a more impassioned obituary speech was, mayhap, never spoken than the one which she delivered before the National Assembly in honor of that sinister demagogue, whose writings and activities will forever sully some of the really fine pages of that revolutionary era. But with those apologists we have not to do. History has talked its fill of the inhuman monster. With the more intimate biographists alone has this true chronicle any concern. It is one of these who tells us that on or about the eighteenth day of Messidor, in the year one of the Republic, a date which corresponds with the 6th of July, 1793, of our own calendar, Jean-Paul Marat took an additional man into his service at the insistence of Jeannette Maracal, his cook and maid of all work. Marat was at this time a martyr to an unpleasant form of skin disease, brought on by the terrible privations which he had endured during the few years preceding his association with Simone Everard, the faithful friend and housekeeper, whose small fortune subsequently provided him with some degree of comfort. The man whom Jeannette Maricol, the cook, introduced into the household of number 30, Rue de Cordeliers. That worthy woman had literally picked one day out of the gutter where he was grabbing for scraps of food like some wretched starving cur. He appeared to be known to the police of the section, his identity book proclaiming him to be one Paul Molay, who had served his time in Gaul for a larceny. He professed himself willing to do any work required of him, for the merest pittance and some kind of roof over his head. Simone Everard allowed Jeannette to take him in, partly out of compassion and partly with a view to easing the woman's own burden, the only other domestic in the house, a man named Bass, being more interested in politics and the meetings of the Club des Jacobins than he was in his master's ailments. The man Molay, moreover, appeared to know something of medicine and of herbs and how to prepare the warm baths which alone eased the unfortunate Marat from pain. He was powerfully built, too, and though he muttered and grumbled a great deal, and indulged in prolonged fits of sulkiness when he would not open his mouth to anyone, he was, on the whole, helpful and good-tempered. 
there must also have been something about his whole wretched personality which made a strong appeal to the friend of the people, for it is quite evident that within a few days Paul Mole had won no small measure of his master's confidence. Marat, sick, fretful, and worried, had taken an unreasoning dislike to his servant Bath. He was thankful to have a stranger about him, a man who was as miserable as he himself had been a very little while ago, who, like himself, had lived in cellars and in underground burrows, and lived on the scraps of food which even street curs had disdained. On the seventh day following Molay's entry into the household, and while the latter was preparing his employer's bath, Marat said abruptly to him, "'You'll go as far as the Chemin de Pantin to-day for me, citizen. You know your way?' "'I can find it, what?' muttered Molay, who appeared to be in one of his surly moods. "'You will have to go very circumspectly,' Marat went on in his cracked and feeble voice, "'and see to it that no one spies upon your movements. "'I have many enemies, citizen, one especially, a woman. "'She is always prying and spying on me. So beware of any woman you see lurking about your heels. Mole gave a half-audible grunt in reply. You had best go after dark, the other rejoined after a while. Come back to me after nine o'clock. It is not far to the Chemin de Pantin, just where it intersects the Rue de Midieu. You can get there and back before midnight. The people will admit you. I will give you a ring. The only thing I possess. It has little or no value, he added with a harsh, grating laugh. It will not be worth your while to steal it. You will have to see a brat and report to me on his condition. His appearance, what? Talk to him a bit. See what he says and let me know. It is not difficult. No, citizen. Mole helped the suffering wretch into his bath. Not a movement, not a quiver of the eyelid betrayed one single emotion which he may have felt. Neither loathing nor sympathy, only placid indifference. He was just a half-starved menial, thankful to accomplish any task for the sake of satisfying a craving stomach. Marat stretched out his shrunken limbs in the herbal water with a sigh of well-being. "'And the ring, citizen?' Mole suggested presently. The demagogue held up his left hand. It was emaciated and disfigured by disease. A cheap-looking metal ring, set with a false stone, glistened upon the fourth finger. "'Take it off,' he said curtly. The ring must have all along been too small for the bony hand of the once famous court physician. Even now it appeared embedded in the flabby skin and refused to slide over the knuckle. The water will loosen it, remarked Mole quietly. Marat dipped his hand back in the water, and the other stood beside him, silent and stolid, his broad shoulders bent 
his face naught but a mask, void and expressionless beneath its coating of grime. One or two seconds went by. The air was heavy with the steam and a medley of evil-smelling fumes which hung in the close atmosphere of the narrow room. The sick man appeared to be drowsy, his head rolled over to one side, his eyes closed. He had evidently forgotten all about the ring. A woman's voice, shrill and peremptory, broke the silence which had become oppressive. Here, citizen Mole, I want you. There's not a bit of wood chopped up for my fire, and how am I to make the coffee without firing, I should like to know. The ring, citizen, Mole urged gruffly. Marat had been roused by the woman's sharp voice. He cursed her for a noisy harridan. Then he said fretfully, It will do presently, when you are ready to start. I said nine o'clock. It is only four now. I am tired. Tell citizeness Everard to bring me some hot coffee in an hour's time. You can go and fetch me the monitor now, and take back these proofs to Citizen Dufour. You'll find him at the Cordeliers, or else at the printing works. Come back at nine o'clock. I am tired now, too tired to tell you where to find the house, which is off the Chemin de Pantin. Presently will do. Even while he spoke, he appeared to drop into a fitful sleep. His two hands were hidden under the sheet which covered the bath. Mole watched him in silence for a moment or two. Then he turned on his heel and shuffled off through the anteroom into the kitchen beyond, where presently he sat down, squatting in an angle of the stove, and started with his usual stolidness to chop wood for the citizeness fire. When this task was done, and he had received a chunk of sour bread for his reward from Jeanette Maricol, the cook, he shuffled out of the place and into the street to do his employer's errands. End of Book One, Chapter Three Recording by Linda Andrus